This week on the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we've got a bunch of little things, little stories to talk to you about. Frontier of hope and possibility. Being excellent to each other and party on, dudes! Welcome to the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me today are Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, Internet Universe? And Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. So this week we have a very special story. Uh, show planned for you we are going to do what we're going to call for lack of a better word quick hitters um where we're just going to try to do some shorter uh stories shorter topics um and kind of pack a lot of different things into one episode so uh, instead of going into any sort of depth or really analysis more shorter kind of anecdotal type things um and we'll see how many we get to um in uh, the time that we have for today's show so hopefully we'll get to a handful of different things that have kind of come up in the lincoln world or things that we've thought about or talked about um recently uh we also have our two features our this week in lincoln and our by the people of the people where we talk about our favorite our favorite social media posts of the week but before we get to those let's go ahead and jump right into our uh, series of shorter, quick-hitting segments, and we'll start with Mary. Mary, as I understand it, you were able to see a very interesting talk about our friend Abraham Lincoln just this week. Yes, I was. I went to um, stay with my friends who live in Ohio, and my one of my friends happens to be uh, Jeff, who runs the Mr. Lincoln Twitter account, and he was giving a talk in this little town called Xenia, Ohio, which is maybe about 40 minutes away from, I think, west of Dayton, no, east of Dayton, Ohio. And he gave the talk to the Green County Historical Society. He was invited there by the, um, I think it's the Dayton Abraham Lincoln group. I'm probably not getting it right. Um, mm -hmm. But um, his talk was very interesting. It was called um, A Journey to Greatness. And it was about part of Lincoln's inaugural journey through Ohio. And um, basically, I learned quite a bit um, from the talk, like I've done a little bit of reading here and there in the Lincoln inaugural train, but he went into more detail um, about it. So he, he opened by talking about the inauguration trip. And, um, you know, he said that the journey would be filled with peril, which it was, there was, you know, an assassination attempt, there was a like a hand grenade or bomb found at one point along the journey. Um, and he departed Springfield on February 11th, 1861, as we all know. And like he had a lot of great photos in the presentation too. Um, he discusses the first assassination attempt, which um, was when there was some freight cars del deliberately bolted to the attack or to the track. I did not know about that. So that was really interesting to find out that um, if Lincoln's train had hit that, several cars would have derailed. Um, and then he arrived in Cincinnati. So this is where he starts talking about Ohio um, on February 12th, 1861, Lincoln's uh, 52nd birthday. And he gave two speeches there. And this is also where the second assassination attempt happened. 
um, where there was like, it was a bomb or a grenade found. And then he ends up going to Xenia, Ohio, because he was supposed to go to Dayton, but the reason he could not go to Xenia was because there was um, like some copperheads there, apparently. And there was threats and stuff to his life. So his train arrived in Xenia and apparently the reception there was very chaotic. They, um, the people, uh, there was this one restaurant there that had all this food prepared for Mr. Link like Lincoln and his family. And the crowd saw it and they rushed at it and they ate it all before Lincoln even got to it. And apparently they were like on top of the train car and trying to get in. So he got um, quite the reception. And uh, Jeff actually referenced an article from the New York Times that said at Xenia, they were really crazy. They jumped upon the car roof and attempted to force doors and they attempted to climb in windows. So Lincoln had quite in this little town, quite the reception. And the reason for that they suspected um, is because of Dayton being avoided. So people from Dayton came down to Xenia to see Lincoln in this little town, which at the time would have been, you know, I mean, it would take us 40 minutes to get there in a car. So you can just imagine like going there by just horse and buggy at the time would have been quite a journey for some people. Um, and again, like he talks about why Dayton was avoided because of the strong Copperhead element and the leader of the Copperheads was Clement Vallandigham. It's a mouthful. Yes, um, who was actually, he was born in Lisbon, Ohio, which is another town I visited on the weekend. I saw uh, his house there is a private home, so you can't go in it, but there's like a little plaque outside of it. Um, and he spoke a little bit about the Landingham. He likened him to the guy in the Lincoln movie. You guys will know who I'm talking about, who Lincoln was trying to get to cast of like the vote for the emancipation who, and the guy spoke like, no, like that he was a really soft spoken guy. Um, that's kind of who Clement, Clement Vallandigham looks like. Um, and just a side note, Vallandigham has a connection to Canada. When Lincoln exiled him to the Confederacy, Vallandigham ended, ends up coming to Windsor, Ontario, which is directly across the river in Detroit. Um, and from there he ran his campaign for governor of Ohio. And that's why we have tariffs on Canadian. I know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Because we we harbor we harbor copperheads and Confederates, and we burn down the White House apparently. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, Jeff talked about um, the copperheads, and um, then he talked about Lincoln being in Cleveland. And the most interesting part. Um, I found about this was that um, he spoke about that this is when Lincoln gives kind of an odd speech where he says that the crisis that like the secession crisis is uh, quote unquote artificial. And he said things like, do they not live under the same constitution? Do they not have their fugitive slaves returned to them? Why all this excitement? Why all these complaints? Um, that's always been an area of Abraham Lincoln that I'm interested in is how he viewed the secession crisis before he was president and then in, in, in his early days. Um, and this was Lincoln's only visit to Cleveland while he was alive. Um, he also spoke about the Baltimore plot, which um, we know about that where Lincoln fled, had to use a disguise. And then he talks about Lincoln arriving in um, Washington. And you can also view um, this train called the William Mason which was part of the inaugural train. And I believe it's, you can 
view it in Baltimore, but don't quote me on that. I don't have the source for it. Um, but anyway, that was his talk. And um, I just want to thank Jeff on the show because he was very nice um, in his sources, his resources on the internet. He um, had us listed as a podcast for people to listen to. And I met a few people there and they said that they were definitely going to download the podcast and have a listen to it. So uh, thank you for that shout out, Jeff, very much. We appreciate it. We sure do. Thank you, Jeff. And if anybody is uh, listening who joined us because of uh, that shout out, welcome to Rail Splitter Nation, one and all. We are happy to have you on board. So that sounds like a uh, pretty fascinating talk. And I think it's mm -hmm. two things. One, it kind of gives our listeners just a little bit of an idea of, um, you know, some Lincoln research and presentation that's out there, but also, you know, those kinds of things pop up all over the place. So, um, one, it's good to, to know that they exist and to check them out. But two, you know, it's also nice to kind of give some patronage to, to presentations like that. Um, because, you know, I've, I've been to several around where I'm from and they're always fun mm -hmm. um, and interesting. Um, and it's, you know, if we don't support things like that, we can't really complain about them not being around. So, um, I think it's kind of cool. Sometimes you got to seek it out because they don't always have like a marketing budget or anything. So um, it's good that you were able to check that out and make it a, an international audience and, and um, support your friend in his uh, Lincoln endeavors. So um, yeah, I was hey, happy Mary. to Yep. Uh, what is Jeff's uh, background? Is he like one of us meeting just kind of Lincoln enthusiasts got into he, it? He, he is, he's been a Lincoln geek since he was five years old and he just turned 56. So all his life. Uh, he's an IT professional. Um, so he's not like, not a history teacher or anything like that. He's just been passionate about him for his entire life. And um, like, I've been following him on Twitter since about 2012. And I've learned a lot from him. He knows his stuff. Um, he's an excellent speaker. Um, he like, like I was very drawn into the talk and I thought, you know, like, oh, I know a little bit about the inauguration journey or whatever, but no, I, I learned so much from it. Um, but yeah, he's just, he's a Lincoln geek like we are. And uh, he's a huge book nerd as well. He's got a very extensive Lincoln book collection, which I'm very jealous of. <laughs> and uh, he's a great Twitter follow and that's uh, Lincoln belongs to the ages again. Yeah. yeah and what's that Twitter handle? Um, at, at Mr. Underscore Lincoln. There you go. At Mr. Underscore Lincoln. So thank you. And thank you, Jeff, for the, for the shout out and for being such a, um, such a great contributor to the Lincoln community online. I'm sure several of your tweets will make it into our new feature, which is of the people by the people where we talk about our favorite social media posts of the week. Nick, uh, I know you had mentioned you wanted to talk a little bit about historic knowledge and how that has kind of come to the forefront of national news. So I will turn it over to you for our next quick hitter. Oh, yeah. I kind of made a comment to it. I thought it was like uh, the historians of the War of 1812 were probably pretty jacked that, you know, they were actually trending. The War of 1812 was trending the other day. <laughs> Thanks to the great uh, Donald Trump, President Trump. Uh, for those of you who haven't followed, I'm pretty sure probably all our listeners have, but basically Trump has imposed some sanctions on Canada. Him and Trudeau had a conversation that didn't go too well. And the big justification or one of the justifications for this is it's like national security. Uh, we need to do this for national security reasons. And then I guess the conversation got heated between the two. 
And then he goes, well, you guys did burn down our, the White House. <laughs> um, that's impossible because Canada was yet a country at that time. And it was the British that did that. Um, so, yeah. And that's also the famous fire where Dolly Madison, like, saves the painting mm-hmm. uh, and all that good stuff. But, uh, yeah, and I think, like, it's – this is, like, a real thing. This is, like, true from what I found. Like, the source – like, yeah, it's just mind-boggling. I, I can't <laughs> – can't believe it. Yeah, I was really shocked when I, you know, read it. And, of course, I was, like – I blurted out. I was at work and I was on break, and I blurted out, we weren't a country then. <laughs> What's he talking about? We weren't even a country. Um, and yeah, it's true. British forces did burn down the White House. And that was, I think, in retaliation to uh, when the US, the US came and um, burnt down the city of York, which is now known as Toronto. Um, but yeah, it was, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, and real quick, I just want to apologize if there's any uh, sound stuff. I, I just had to, anyway. I had to tell somebody I was on a call. Sorry about that. I'm recording this at work, so apologies. Uh, this isn't the first time Trump's made a hysterical error. I believe he like thought Frederick Douglass was still alive. Am yes. I correct on this? Yeah, yeah okay. he, did. Hey, he did. Fred here. Fred's doing a great job. Fred, where's Fred at? <laughs> yeah, that and was. Then, uh, go ahead. And then he claimed like uh, like one of his golf courses were like on a Civil War battlefield or something. Yeah. So yeah, this is the first time uh, Trump has uh, rewritten history. So, and do well, you guys know where Trump is right now? No, Canada. He, he is in my country. He's in Quebec for the G7. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I do think this brings up another point. I mean, obviously, I'm very guilty. I don't even know if guilty is the right word. I partake in um, kind of pointing out the absurdity of the of the president's historic claims or claims to know history. But I do think there's two pieces. This one, like the gross inaccuracy of him saying that Canada burned down the White House. Beyond that, one other thing that not a whole lot of people have pointed out as being absurd, um, a couple different things, but one, let's let's just say that it was that they had burned down the White House, or let's say he was talking to somebody from England. That was in, like, what, 1814? Yep. So, like, did, did that act, and it was during a war... <laughs> Yeah, and so like, we've did, fought in wars together since then. Well, sure. Yeah, we uh, fought in wars you know. together since then. We're clearly allies with both Canadians and the British. Like bringing this up as a as a point, like, hey, screw you, you tried to burn down the what? Like in eighteen, what? What would have been eighteen fourteen or yeah. went up toward the end of the War of eighteen twelve? Yeah. Like, so, like, what are they saying? Like, for, forevermore, all every generation hence, you can bring this up now. <laughs> you know, like. I, I would hope that we don't do that because then any number of countries, we have no claim to do anything with us because, yep. you know, um, yeah. So, like, just the absurdity of that, um, even if you set aside the fact that it's inaccurate, his point was that if 200 years ago they did this, for some reason we're now allowed to give put tariffs on I know, you know on like steel. that 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 gives us some sort of extra right to to do that which is, i i don't i mean this like feels like a my dad can beat up your dad type of argument mm-hmm. it's just like this absurd absurd stuff uh and it's like was done on the anniversary of d-day where america canadian english forces all stormed the beaches together yeah on probably the biggest single battle in military history. So, yeah. um, you know, this isn't anything new from, this is a guy who once compared his button 
to another guy's button who he will be meeting June 12th. So um, I wonder if they're going to show each other's uh, their buttons. <laughs> yeah, but that's, yeah. So <laughs> it is important to know your history clearly, but it's also important to be a decent person, which I think both of, hopefully this podcast kind of talks about both of those things because Abraham Lincoln obviously is a historic figure, but also we talk about his personality quite a lot um, where, Yes, as a as a history educator of sorts and as a learner of history, it is important to know who tried to burn down the White House, why that happened, when it happened. But I also think that it's important to be a to learn a little bit about diplomacy, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> not bring up something that happened in eighteen fourteen. And I mean, like right. any like any typical Canadians, we're all up here just kind of, we're la like we're just kind of like oh haha, that's funny. And even Justin somebody asked him what he did and Justin said, I just laughed it off as like some kind of random quip. Like it, you know, or let me sit, let me submit this for consideration. Let's say we're cool with that. Let's say, you know what, burning the white house, we should write them off forever. So then do we say that the ancestors of the millions of people who openly rebelled against the United States of America, uh, in 1861, like, should we also write them off? Because, trust me, if they had the opportunity, they would have burned down the White House. Um, they were literally an open rebellion against the mm -hmm. United States government. Uh, and we had something called Reconstruction, and Abraham Lincoln was very much a proponent of allowing them back in the Union and making sure that they did it under, you know, under a very... Um, pretty kind set of circumstances, you know, so this idea that, you know, uh, the, there's these irrevocable offenses against the American people that if you do this, you know, this basically it's this idea um, of American exceptionalism taken to the point of being ignorant of history, <laughs> you know, like this idea that we can do whatever we want, but if you do anything to us forevermore, we will write you off or at least treat you how, how we will, just however we would like, whether you like it or not. Um, it's just kind of absurd, but I, you know, I do think that it does have, you know, anytime we're talking about history in the context of, um, you know, mainstream, you know, as long as history's making headlines, I think we should talk about it because, um, it doesn't happen all that often. I refuse to move on with this episode until Mary and all of Canada apologizes <laughs> for burning down the White House. During the War of 1812. I, I can apologize for it, though, because I wasn't, like, we weren't a country. <laughs> See? See, this is the problem. But, but I will. I, on behalf of all of Canada, Justin included, I apologize <laughs> for burning down the White House. For personally burning personally. down the White House. You, you personally lit the torches. I did. Well, um, the, the tariffs are single-handedly lifted. They are no longer I'm making this decision. We will see it across breaking news on CNN. <laughs> yep. Just for the record, CNN abuses what breaking news is. I agree. It yeah, drives me nuts. But anyway, sorry. And, okay, yeah. and not to beat this point completely into the ground, I'm going to make one more point about this, then we can move on. But I do think it also speaks a little bit about this current president when of all the wars, of all the attacks, of all the injustices, the one he decided to bring up was burning down the house that he currently lives in. Like, you know, the something that I don't believe anybody died in. I don't believe it was really, you know, it wasn't an atrocity, certainly compared to any number of atrocities in war. Um, but that's, you know, it's it's very similar to this. Um, you know, it, it's it's just kind of part of that narcissism that like, oh, if you try to burn down the White House, that's that's more un-American than like 
any other act of war where people actually do die. So anyway, I think that's... I actually came away slightly impressed that he actually knew that the War of 1812 was a thing. So to be honest, if you would have asked me before that, I would have said no. So I do give him props there. I, I promise you he learned that when he was like going through his orientation of the White House. I'm sure they said, oh, during when, when it was, you know, when they tried to burn it down in the War of 1812, he's like, no kidding. Hell, you know, well, yeah. how about that? Maybe. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> whatever. Do you think they have like a video for the White House orientation? I want to see this. Yes. Yeah, so okay. You are now correct. sitting in Oval Office. This will become a very important location to you. Like Captain America, like from yeah. a Spider-Man. Yeah, he's, he's looking around like, so that's why they call it the Oval Office. It's literally an oval. So um, one other one item I did want to bring up, and um, we do get very political on the show, and we obviously welcome all viewpoints, but ours are each our own, each of the three of ours. Um, but they're pretty clear most of the time. Um, so there's this business with the Philadelphia Eagles and the national anthem, um, bringing that more to an Abraham Lincoln conversation. And we could probably do an entire episode on this, even though this one was at least intended at the onset to be a, a quick hitter show where we kind of go into, uh, items quickly, um, and succinctly, but, um, Abraham Lincoln kind of has a shaky past when it comes to the writ of habeas corpus and being tolerant of some civil liberties, specifically sedition, um, where he is widely and probably often justifiably criticized now, even still in a current historic context, for ignoring the rights of accused people acting against our country. Um, in other words, in the Civil War, if he thought if people were accused of being Southern sympathizers or Southern spies, oftentimes they did not get their rights to a to a fair trial. They did not get um, very many rights at all, and they were basically imprisoned many times. Very much a dark mark on the on Lincoln's legacy. And we here at the Railswater Podcast definitely look at the man as a whole, and we are not um, just like kind of apologists or hold him to this like ideal that's impossible to stand to, but. Um, I think that any sort of conversation about civil liberties in the context of Lincoln needs to address that. Um, and the extent to which he would have been tolerant of uh, this idea of patriotism, I think would be interesting to talk about. Um, and I, I would be, I'm curious to, to know if the current president who did make a considerable blunder about the War of 1812 knows the history of the lyrics to or the poem of the Star Spangled Banner, um, which interestingly uh, was not about Canada at all. Uh, it was about Fort McHenry. Um, in the defense of Fort McHenry. Um, but yeah, I believe that that was written in response or um, in kind of as a witness to a battle in the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. Um, so this, um, kind of funny, funny kind of coalescence of, uh, you know, there's a, some people who are critical of the national anthem. Obviously it's grown to represent more than that, but it, you know, the words are about an attack on Fort McHenry in the war of 1812, uh, from September 14th of 1814. So I just kind of find those two things interesting. One, like the patriotism angle from Abraham Lincoln, but also it did take place during the War of 1812. I apologize for kind of bringing up two points there at the same time. So uh, what do you guys think of the first one? Lincoln's approach to patriotism 
What are your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think the knee thing is such a bot. Like this whole knee and protest stuff is such a modern development. I feel I don't know. I like to think you see him have had mercy on like deserters uh, when it came to that, you know. Um, and I, I think he. I don't think he would make the mistake of getting bogged down in this small issue that's dividing the country. I think he was smarter than that. I, I don't think he would go down that road um, and, and play into this. Um, you know, he had bigger fish to fry at that time, definitely with the Civil War, than what Trump currently does now. But, yeah, I, I just don't think he would even really get involved in this in this issue. No, I, I completely agree with you, Nick. He had you know, bigger issues to deal with um, than getting involved with something small like that. You know, he was having to deal with uh, people like Clement Vallandigham, who he called the, like the wily agitator, who were, you know, openly doing stuff um, that, you know, some soldiers deserted because of what Vallandigham said. Um, so I don't really think he would have, I think he would have kind of just, you know, I don't know if he would have agreed with it or not, but I don't think he would have went like made a huge deal out of it. Well, and I think that brings up uh, kind of a larger point about patriotism in general and what patriotism is and what patriotism should be. And um, the uh, well, the Star Spangled Banner was not even the national anthem until 1931. Uh, so it wasn't even at least officially the national anthem until um, less than a hundred years ago. Uh, also, um, I, you know, I don't think if, if, if it weren't played at the beginning of sporting events, you know, I think it's like, like I think media kind of fuels into these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think national anthems were, have really even been an avenue to display patriotism until very, very recently. You know, I think if you're looking at it historically, how people would show patriotism is just simply love of country um, and, you know, would never have that really questioned um, other than there's ways to show your actions. And, and now I think that it's kind of become something different, I suppose, because, um, you know, folks hear the national anthem all the time, uh, you know, you hear it, it's on TV all the time because of sporting events. So I think it's interesting how um, evolution in pop culture has given rise to this idea of patriotism because what's what that's the patriotism we see on TV. You I know I, I was just thinking here as you were talking, I don't think his patriotism was that shallow. His patriotism was a deep belief that he believed in. Mm -hmm. And you saw that I mean here's a guy who looked at the constitution um and, and that was the foundation for the stuff and the decisions that he made. Um and to him that's what patriotism was. That's what the country was. This big this huge concept of you know, having a democracy that we do. Um, it wasn't as shallow as, um, you know, get into a squabble over some song and how patriotic people are doing it. That's really a shallow approach to patriotism, in my opinion. Um, you know what I mean? Because you, you got like people who say you get mad at the guys you kneel, but then they wear like all of this American flag for failure on them. You know what I mean? Paraphernalia. Um, which technically you're not supposed to do according to the, you know, the, the rules of the flag and stuff. 
um, or people who drape the flag around them like they're these super patriots, or the people who are mad at the person for kneeling, but then they fly the Confederate flag, which is like the ultimate symbol mm -hmm. of treason yeah. um, that you could ever have. So um, I think Lincoln's patriotism ran much deeper mm -hmm. uh, than to worry about these shallow approaches to that. Yes, I agree. And I think the patriotism of his era was different. Um, yes. And I, 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 I just, and I think this kind of goes back and, you know, this, this episode is kind of taking a different track from what we intended to, which I think is great. It's really more about um, kind of historic interpretations of the, you know, in the 21st century versus maybe in the past. Um, kind of going off of comments that we shared about um, just historic misconceptions. But I do think that history is important. And this is a history podcast. It's important to know who Abraham Lincoln was to, you know, to because when we're talking about, like we talked about last week, about people who made the, you know, gave the last full measure of devotion, gave the ultimate sacrifice, died for this country, what that means for patriotism uh, versus now and to, to think about like do you or do you not stand when the national anthem is being played as being more of an indication of how much you love your country versus literally anything else in a lot of people's minds um, and, and it, I think ultimately what it comes down to is it's not about patriotism that argument is not about love of country um, because, because you can't uh, you know it's very difficult for me to see how on one side you can say um, that, that this stands for freedom and on the other side say, I'm going to tell you how to do something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how to express yourselves. If you don't express yourself the way I say it, I say you should, then you're doing it wrong. That is the antithesis of freedom. Freedom means I can do whatever I want within, within the context of the law and you can do whatever you want because we live in a free society. So like mm -hmm. this idea that um, that anybody can dictate what you do in that context is, is I think, against what Abraham Lincoln was about and what the Civil War was about because it was ultimately a war about freedom, mm -hmm. right? Um, for him to say, and I think this goes to a lot of different issues, political issues now, what, what that war was about. I and mean, he talked about it in the Gettysburg Address. And, and in that Gettysburg Address, it, you know, he, is, he talks about what the war was about without he never talks about love of country or freedom uh i mean he does say a new birth of freedom but like it's not this you know it's just so much more eloquent than this like kind of cheesy over the top saying like you know this this idea based in american exceptionalism that like we're the freest country in the world you know the south hates our freedom we love our freedom that's what this fight is about but somehow that's what our rhetoric is now that there's either freedom lovers or freedom haters you can't there's nothing in between and if you're a freedom hater you're the enemy um, whereas, and, and there's, and the idea that any, anything that we do inherently protects freedom because it's us, because it's the United States mm -hmm. when really it's, that's not what freedom is. Like we need to be, if we're not critical of our own system, we're not ex exercising our freedom and we can't say that something because it's American, because it's American, it's inherently more free. Um, well, it's almost, it almost becomes like a meme, you know, if it's America, it's like, yeah, freedom. Mm -hmm because it's got a bald eagle on it you know like so like and i and i and i think that abraham lincoln gets roped into that a lot in this perception of him for sure well i think uh lincoln kind of represents freedom democracy is messy um there's a lot of gray area 
And then you see that with like the habeas corpus um, and Lincoln during that time. I mean, it, it's a messy process and there's always the gray area. Um, and then when both camps end up in absolutes, that makes it even more difficult to do it because it's very hard to work out the gray area when people are dug in on their sides, which is currently where our current society is, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that you can, um, there are absolutes. I think slavery is wrong. Slavery is evil. I think Lincoln dealt in absolutes. Um, and I, and I think that that was kind of the whole course of the first half of our country's history was like trying to not deal with slavery as an absolute. Like, let's talk about its expansion. Let's talk about its ultimate extinction. Let's ban the international slave trade, but you know, allow the domestic slave trade. Like, there are some absolutes, I think, but to deal solely in absolutes, um, one and two, looking at at those absolutes as good and evil, as opposed to anything but that, I think that's the problem. Um, and that's one that Abraham Lincoln did not engage in. He was he never really called any like the South evil or you know I mean he called slavery evil for sure, which you know for for good reason. But it wasn't, he never had this, like, our enemy is evil, we are good, you know. He talked more about the righteousness of the cause instead of demonizing other people, um, at least publicly. And he, and that, Which I think that's why it's just, that's why it worked. That's why it was much more lasting, because it wasn't just, like, painting with broad strokes saying that something, like, just collectively is, is wrong and evil, like a person or an idea, Um and now it's just so you're right. It's just so polarized um, that that it's not the idea. It's it's who comes up with the idea that's that's either right or wrong. And I think a lot of times it's anything that that the op the opposing party does is inherently bad. It's inherently wrong, and that's just not how you make progress. Agreed. Yep, totally agree. So, do we have any other quick hitters? I know that's this episode's kind of taken on a mind of its own, which actually. I'm kind of into it. I think it's kind of cool. It's cool. I like it. There's a new Lincoln book coming out, or came out June 5th. Ooh. Um, Lincoln's Last Trial, The Murder Case That Propelled Him to the Presidency. Oh. By Dan a Abrams and David Fisher. All right. I'm going to say this. Great title. I'm not <laughs> familiar with this, and I'm going to read it because... Uh, I'm a co-host of an Abraham Lincoln podcast, and I don't know what trial he's talking about. So if it truly did propound to the presidency, that's a bold claim. So I'm going to check it out. I think I know which one. It, I'm not sure. I want to say it's the one with Jack Armstrong's son. Yes, you are correct. Um, when that involved the, um, that's where he, is that the Almanac trial? Yep. Dang, look at you, Mary. <laughs> All over it. It just was a wild guess. <laughs> <laughs> it was a while. Just a shot in the dark that happened to be 100% correct. So then uh, I was reading the synopsis of the book, and something I didn't realize in this. So according to the synopsis, um, the murder victim actually trained in his law office. Um, oh, wow. and, and then they claimed the phrase is Lincoln had been his friend and his mentor. Um, so... That's kind of interesting too. I didn't know that he knew both parties involved in there. So, um, yeah, kind of making the thing that you know the this is after the Lincoln Douglas debates put him out there, kind of his last major case. 
um, that he did. So, and he was kind of walking this tightrope of, you know, if this didn't go well, it could have hurt his chances. I think that's where the book's going, kind of based on the synopsis. So just came out, came across it. Uh, Time Magazine had a little write-up on it, kind of giving you a little background about the Armstrongs. And those of you, you know, we've talked about the Armstrong family and clan. That's the crew that he fought um, back in the day and uh, or wrestled and became good friends with. So, yeah, kind of interesting book. Like, I think we talked about this, too. You know, I think you need an angle like that if you're going to come out with any modern-day uh, Lincoln stuff. So you, you got to make a bold statement, a bold claim. Um, what I know on that trial, I don't know if I would quite have phrased that book, but I'm definitely curious to see the case they put forth. I am, too. And, I mean, I have to admit, like, Lincoln's legal career is somewhere that I just have not studied a lot of because I've always kind of found it one of the more not as interesting areas of him to look at um and it's an area that i would love to know more about so the book has me intrigued and i'm definitely going to read it uh, i'm going to read it too um it sounds like it's it's pretty widely talked about there's like a review in usa today and a couple other places so i'm definitely gonna check it out and to see 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 if it's going to generate some buzz um so that's that's pretty cool. Uh, one real quick thing. I don't know if, if you if either one of you are use the social networking site Goodreads, but yeah. it's my favorite social networking site. Okay. So um, if you're looking for book ideas and like what people have read and reviewed books, I highly recommend it. I think you can just find people by name. So if you look me up, uh, my last name is Boyce B O I S, uh, and Rail Splitter is not actually one of my official titles. So you can just look up Jeremy Boyce and find me on there. But um, I really like Goodreads. You can see what I've, what we're reading, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's cool. I love Goodreads. It's a perfect place for a book geek. It is. It is. A couple rabbit holes you can fall down trying to find what people are reading. Uh, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> now with any social media. Yeah, the the, the rabbit hole. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, another thing I came across is the Lincoln Museum was voted. The top museum in Illinois. So uh, take that, every museum in Chicago. Yep. I mean, that's kind of impressive. You're talking being out the science industry, field museum, and the art institute. Actually, the art institute was fifth on that list, which I find crazy. And then the McLean County Museum of History. Talk about a sleeper here. Number four on the list. So um I feel kind of bad because I lived in Bloomington Normal for about six years going to school there and I had never been there. Some of those small town museums are, they are cool places to visit. Um, yeah. I went to the McKinley Presidential Library and Museum in Canton, Ohio, which I know Canton's more of a city, but, and it's not an official presidential library museum, but it's more of that small town kind of thing, like history of the area. And it is one of my favorite museums. It was very well done. And I recommend it to anybody that's in that area. Yeah, I agree with you. The small town stuff is uh, neat. I know in Rockford, we got like Memorial Hall. I don't know if it's really a museum you classify, but it's definitely a cool place to go. And our Midway Village, so where they hold the uh, Civil War reenactments. Yes, and, very good. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there, there we go. Another one for the Lincoln. Another one in the Lincoln category. That's right. Very, very cool. So, so it is summertime, so I would recommend highly for everyone who can to get to Springfield, Illinois. Yeah, it's great any time of the year, but the summertime, they've got all kinds of cool stuff going on, and it's definitely worth checking out. 
Yeah, I don't hear anything about a Fillmore museum. That's for damn sure. I was just going to ask Nick, like, what would you do if you found out they'd voted on all the museums and where would it be, New York State, and like Fillmore's was <laughs> like number one or two? Would you go, would you go visit it? Uh, no, I did find out though that <laughs> Fillmore, Utah, was when it was a territory that was its capital, Fillmore, Utah. So. Yeah, that's gotta be a shit old town. I'm just sorry. Actually, I think one of our listeners lives there, so I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to be careful. Yeah. We're not gonna judge books by their covers or cities by their name. Nope. <laughs> All so. right, so uh, it is gonna be a slightly shorter episode this week because, in all transparency, uh, I have go. I have to get to a soccer field to watch the Gumdrops play. My daughter is. Uh, place for the gumdrops so we're very excited to to see that um to see them and other uh soccer related news lincoln city's uh season finished uh, i know we uh we have at least one fan of the show who's also a fan of lincoln city and i think that's me uh but uh, the namesake football club in england uh their first uh season back in league two uh, and they stayed up. They finished seventh place, so they are still in League Two. They did not get relegated, and they also did not win promotion to League One, losing in the semifinals to Exeter City. But the Imps from Lincoln City, probably uh, some distant relatives of Abraham Lincoln, probably came from Lincoln City in England, safely in seventh place, still in League Two. So that's good to hear. Um, Is it true that Messi sick about going there? Is that true? Uh, there are transfer talks for FMS. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Um, so those of you who are going to be enjoying the World Cup next week, best of luck to your teams. Uh, we've done. We've been kind enough to make sure that Canada and the United States are not playing this time around. So anybody else can win. I don't even care. Norway. Broken. I mean, Netherlands. That's my squad. Are they in it? They're not. Oh, man, really? No, they didn't, they didn't qualify. No. <laughs> it was a huge, huge upset. I'm going to go with Germany. I thought you were going to say Italy, who also did not qualify. I picked them a couple years ago. You picked them when they won, yeah. yeah. That was in 2006, I think. So, um, what the hell's in it? Italy, Netherlands, America? Who's representing? Uh, you know, you got your staples. Well, except for Italy, you got Brazil, Argentina, uh, Germany, obviously, France, um, England. Who's the uh, favorite? Do we know? Favorite would be Brazil and Germany. I'm going for England. I'm going to go for England too. Uh, I got a friend from England uh, who I'll probably watch a couple matches with. Hell no, they burned down the White House. Never learned anything in the whole damn episode. Have you learned nothing? (laughs) I have taken the field against England. That's pretty good. You're personally going to take the field against them? Yeah. Yeah. I've been rooting against whoever. Burning down the white. <laughs> who so, who else has angered us? So yeah, yeah. No, I know they're a big rivalry rival for us on the football pitch, but I still will probably root for Mexico. I think that uh, I don't know. I I'm, I'm weirdly conflicted about them being uh, rivals of ours in soccer. Um, so I'll probably uh, root for them a little bit. Um, so yeah, it should be fun. I I love the World Cup so. Worth checking out, especially since uh, U.S. and Canada are playing. So you can root for whoever. Abraham Lincoln, of course, would have rooted for the United States, and I guess his team probably back up probably would have been England if he was going with his ancestors. I'm thinking so. Um, so there you go. If uh, if you're you're looking to follow Lincoln, 
I would go with uh, with England, I suppose. If you're uh, a Patriot like me, you will vote. You will cheer against whoever plays England. Cheer with whoever plays against England. Whoever plays against England. So yeah. I always like Denmark uh, too. I like the Danes. I went to Denmark when I was in high school. It was a very cool place. Um, the longest odds, the biggest underdog is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, Panama, and Tunisia share the distinction of being the biggest underdogs. So enough about football. I know that's probably the farthest away from a lot of your uh, – uh, ideas if you came to a Lincoln podcast, but we like to have some fun. We do have a weekly feature. That weekly feature is of the people by the people, where we bring to you our fa- favorite social media posts of the week from the Lincoln world. I will start this week. Mine is a post from Civil War History, whose handle is at Civil War History. Uh, this the, the story is mildly funny, and I don't mean to make to laugh at someone else's expense, but I really liked the headline or the tweet that Civil War History chose to use. The story is that a Civil War reenactor shot himself with a mini ball. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah, I almost picked that one too. <laughs> I'm not laughing at his misfortune. It is a little absurd for a Civil War reenactor to actually load his weapon and use it to hunt with. But that's what he did. <laughs> so he hunted. He he loaded a mini ball into his Civil War reenacting rifle, slipped and sh- shot the mini ball through his elbow. So we now have a very good X-ray of what a mini ball does to a bone, and it pretty well shattered his right right above the elbow, shattered his arm. Um. But the headline that Civil War history chose was the Civil War's latest casualty, this reenactor who shot himself with a mini ball. <laughs> I just thought that was kind of clever and kind of a nod to that Civil War reenactor that, yes, you did indeed shoot yourself with your reenactor rifle, but we'll go ahead and give you the distinction of being a casualty in the Civil War. So a little bit of street cred. Uh, I do not believe they amputated his arm, but looking at the wound, they probably almost certainly would have if it happened in 1863. Thought that was a clever post, um, and our thoughts go out to the poor person who accidentally shot themselves in the arm with a mini ball. Maybe use, maybe 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 use more recent technology if you're actually going to shoot things. <laughs> That's good. That's a good one. You want me to go second? Go ahead. Okay, so mine is one from our Facebook page, and it was Kathleen, who she posts in there quite frequently. She visited the Lincoln Cottage in um, Washington, D.C., and she just posted some pictures of it, and I just thought, I I love when our listeners um, and members of our Facebook page, they post pictures of where they've been that is Lincoln-related. And she had some really awesome photos of the outside of the cottage. She had some great photos of the statue with Lincoln and his horse. Uh, she unfortunately couldn't take any pictures inside. She actually messaged me on uh, Twitter and let me know that she was going there. And I said, I'm like, we'll post photos. Um, so she did. So thank you, Kathleen, for all those photos. And um, I just want to make a quick mention to uh, a Ford's Theater uh, post that was about, hey, tell us about your favorite podcasts. And actually, it was Mr. Lincoln again who retweeted it and said, and said, listen to the Real Splitters Um he said it was one of his favorite podcasts. So thank you again, Jeff, for that shout out um, with that uh, post from Ford's Theater. Excellent. Awesome. Appreciate that. And that's also a good post. And I, I truly like it when 
we get some uh, pictures of different Lincoln spots uh, on the page. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And Nick. Yeah, so it's a little day, 5.30, so I guess it's a little over a week old, but uh, Ulysses S. Grant Cottage tweeted out that the History Channel has green-lighted a Grant six-part docu-series yes. based on the, um, the biography. So, um, yeah, so that's exciting. And then the one I went, uh, the other one I had was the War of 1812, uh, the Biles Smith, um, tweeted, War of 1812 historians get the word that finally controversy will drive public interest in their topic. And then the gift that they use is the Cubs celebrating their World Series win. So, I saw that too. That was awesome. Uh, so I enjoyed that a great deal. Yeah, that was so, good. I saw that as well. I saw that too. Um, and this week, I think it's still going. We did, uh, we were all on the same team in a way here at Rail Splitter Nation um because the um, Milwaukee Brewers who are looking down in first place at the Cubs we're playing the team from Cleveland this week so we need Cleveland to win so we we're happy to get some support from your team Mary to help yes. us out in our quest for NL Central domination because Cleveland, <laughs> Cleveland will win the AL Central by taking a nap for their second half of the season and they'll still win <laughs> All right, well, uh, appreciate you guys listening to us and bearing with us in this kind of episode where we're all over the place. So we definitely got some cool content coming up for you for the rest of the summer. Uh, so thank you once again for listening to The Rail Splitter. I am going to take off to go watch the Gumdrops triumph over some other candy-named team uh, in four- and five-year-old soccer. So um, we're going to cut it a little bit short. But once again, thank you for listening. So for Rail Splitter Mary and Rail Splitter Nick, I am Rail Splitter Jeremy signing off and reminding you to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and with charity for all. And we will see you next week. <laughs>